You're listening to Questionable Material with Jack and Brian, a mostly improvised podcast produced in New York by Jack Helmuth and Brian Sack. QMPodcast.com Fact checkers. Hi, I was wondering if uh, you could check some facts for me. Absolutely. That's what we do. We're the, we are the premier fact-checking source. Everybody comes to us, uh, PolitiFact or Snopes. Everybody comes to us for, for clearing up uh, misconceptions and uh, getting the facts out there. Holy cow, that's amazing. My one fear is that you're a political uh, organization, that I, that I can't trust you based on you're going to give me facts that fit your worldview. You know, it's normal to, to fear that in, in this t- today's climate, but I want to assure you that our organization is non Partisan. We report the facts as they are. Facts are facts, and you can't change that, uh, whether you're a delightful Democrat or a horrible Republican. It doesn't matter. Facts are what they are. So, uh, fact away. What do you need to know? Okay, well, um, hmm. with the holidays coming up and a lot of family coming over, you mm-hmm. know, things can get a little bit heated politically, you know, because we yep. have a, a mix of, of, of people of different political persuasions who are going to be around the table. And, um, you know, uh, so I wanted to just sort of get some facts like uh, uh, about the the squad. You know, yes, I, I know my my uncle Steve um, gets really sort of worked up about them. And uh, um, he's a racist. He's a racist. Is he racist? No. Oh, oh, checks no. out. No. It's right here. What, you, you've already looked at just my uncle Steve. Yeah, says your uncle Steve is a racist. This kind of fits the profile. He hates the squad because of racism. I feel I feel like it's just the fact that he doesn't like their political views. Because of race, racism. Yeah. See, you could be a fact checker. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is, are, are you hiring right now? Yeah, we need, you know, we've got a lot of people want answers and we're very, very busy uh, with the facts, coming up with the facts. You know, everybody's coming to us, all the newspapers, everybody, they're like, hey, fact checkers, we need your assistance. And I'm like, all right, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm doing it as, as fast as I can, you know, and that is why I'm fighting for a union, a union of fact checkers, because, you know, you monsters, you capitalist pigs are taking advantage of me. You're exploiting the labor and, and I'm just a cog in a machine to you. And, you know, we're going to fight back and, and you'll see there will be a revolution. Okay. I mean, I, I was just looking for like a job. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you the application. It's a PDF. Uh, what, um, what do you look for in a fact checker? You know, I want to make sure that I, I even qualify to be, I, I'm sure it's, you know, highly, um, a highly skilled position. You probably need a heck of a lot of education and, um, you know, maybe I, I don't even know what, what do you well, need to be? You know, you need to be capable of using a computer in this day okay. and age. Okay. We're not going to send you off to the library for hours and hours to answer a single question. You need to be able to tap away. Usually we go with the first three or four results because that expedites the process. You start digging, you start going to the multiple pages in the back. You're just going to, next thing you know, you'll be answering you know one question a day. What sort of experience do, do, does one need to work at your organization? Experience is a barrier to entry. And we know that we need, you know, people at keyboards doing the work and and Mm -hmm. getting those answers out there. So we are prepared to work with you. We don't really judge you based on your educational history. We don't look backwards. We're looking forward. We're progressive. We're we're thinking, uh, you know, toward the future. And so uh, I don't care if you went to Don Bosco Technical School or, you know, Phillips Andover Academy. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
or you know, or anywhere in between. It doesn't it doesn't bother me. There's an in between those two. Yeah. What would that be? Like all the other schools. <laughs> okay. Like Olive Garden Academy. Yeah, you know, Olive Garden Academy. Yeah, I mean, if you want to study the franchisee arts, that's that's certainly something you can do at Olive Garden right. Academy. You know, TGIFU <laughs> is a great place. I mean, if you want to, if you if that's the field you want to study, also a funny T-shirt. It is TGIFU, and you're going to come here. You know, not necessarily prepared to answer questions unless they're related uh, to you know what comes with uh, the the baked potato. So, well, I definitely would love to apply. I would love to w- work with you. You sound like um, a great organization. Thank um, you. You know, I, I'd love to know about um, uh, Ben Shapiro because, you know, my uh, my Uncle Steve is sort of always quoting Ben Shapiro. Um, you know, it seems like he, you know, comes up with like a lot of interesting and, and valid sort of facts about um, anything from transgender rights to Israel. And and I, I'd love to know um, some facts just to sort of know uh, if Ben Shapiro is a, is a reliable source. Let me check right here. Yeah, that's that means he's an anti-Semitic troll. Oh, hold on a minute. You're yep. saying that Ben Shapiro, who wears a yarmulke at all times, is an mm-hmm. anti-Semitic? That's that's the result I'm getting. It's an anti-Semitic troll, neocon evil monster, hmm. a lizard person. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, uh, how about, um, uh, you, you know, it's, it, you know, Michael, Steve and, uh, and my wife are sort of always arguing about like transgender rights and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, my uncle Steve sort of believes in, in, in treating people really well. He's a decent guy, but he, he, he doesn't believe that, um, trans women should be competing in female sports like that, like that swimmer at the university of Pennsylvania. You know, what, what can you tell me about, um, about transgenderism in uh, athletics. It says here that your uncle Steve should go bang JK Rowling and make an evil baby. That's my first result. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's look into JK Rowling. Um, can you, can you, uh, because as far as I can tell from what I've seen and read of uh, her work, her beliefs and, um, and the subtext of her work, she seems actually like a really liberal person. Can you, um, can you just confirm that for me? No, I mean, she believes in freedom of speech, so clearly she can't be liberal. Right, okay. She defends the First Amendment. Give me a break. She's as evil and right-wing as uh, Glenn Greenwald. (laughs) Uh, um, Okay, Uh, any last, um, uh, can can you give me like a real sweet fact, just as a a closer? I'd love a a, a closer, um, a fact about Christmas that I can just sort of say, hey guys, you, you know what's really interesting? And then spout off my interesting fact about Christmas. Christmas fact? Yeah, Christmas fact. Well, uh, did you know that Christmas was invented by the Democrats as a gift to the world? No. Yes. Oh, that's great. Yes. They, you know what? They're really, um, and they really care about the common uh, man. Uh, person. <laughs> you know, I guess my last question would be, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of our presence this year, uh, you know, we sort of went a little high end for each other and got each other a lot of um, Apple products. Uh, my wife's getting a, a new iPad. Uh, we're giving um, my 14 year old his first iPhone. So, you know, we can sort of keep track of him. Uh, you know, are Apple products sort of made uh, humanely? They're made by humans. Yes. 
That's that's big. Yeah. No, humans the, make them. Those little hands are really good at affixing like the chips on the circuit boards inside those phones. You, what you really need are, are tiny, tiny fingers. So these these Chinese workers, you know, with the the, the tiny hands, must be incredibly skilled. Uh, laborers. I mean, they, they must, you know, how many years of uh, like of college do you have to, is it engineering school that they have to go to? How, 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 how far along do, are they? I mean, it depends. Time's all relative far along. I mean, you know, look from a dog's perspective, you know, one year is far along. Right. And so um, in dog years, yeah, our, our employees are far along a, a, in that respect. So it's a matter of, of perspective. And what would the perspective be? The perspective is when you look at that final product <laughs> and you say to yourself, I don't care how this was made. I care that it was made and that I'm holding it. And that is a fact. They're made by kids, right? Yeah. Hey, Brian. Wiggity, wiggity, whack. That's, Jack. God, you... You know, the, our, our last uh, full recording of 2021, and you just have to do it weird every single time. Uh, I believe if if I have my facts straight, mm-hmm. and I and I, I know a guy who can verify this for me, um, your 20th wedding anniversary is tomorrow. Is that is that a fact? Uh, yeah, I've been married 20 years. Wow, congratulations. Thank you, Jack. So, uh, I you know, I'd love to know, um, you know, uh, I'd love to sort of know the origin story. Now, your your wife, of course, as we've covered uh, on this uh, show, um, and I'm I'm not excited to say this because uh, she takes jobs from real Americans, but your wife, of course, is a foreigner. She's from Poland. That is correct. She was born in the then communist uh, country, Poland. So I would love to know just sort of, you know, how you met your foreign bride and, and um and, and what a, a Brian Sack wedding uh, looked like, you know, as, as we reflect back on 20 years of love. Okay, sure. Now, from, from knowing you for 10 years, I, I, I know some of this story. Now, uh, you, uh, you were in Europe at the time, uh, yeah. I, I believe. You were yep. in Europe and you were, um, you were on, a, a, on one of those like uh, bus trips, you know, like one of those um, super saver bus trips with a bunch of seniors. Yes. You know, that was my, you know, there are a couple of, couple of reasons. I do that. I like to do the super, the senior tour, the senior bus tour. Yeah. Because they're slower. Mm -hmm. So I can always walk faster and keep up with the guide. So I learn more than they do. (laughs) I hear better. My hearing's better than theirs. So, you know, I'm, so this trip is really good for me. Well, you're competing against them for knowledge. Yeah. I just want to out know what they know. You know, they're not long for the world. and, And so it's, you know, this is my chance uh, to, to get, you know, I get to the bus first. I always get the first seat in the bus. Right. Right. You know, I get off the bus first. I'm there with the tour guide, you know, blowing through places. I don't stop. I don't complain. Oh, my legs are tired. Can we take a break? No more castle. <laughs> so I always get a lot from these trips. I guess it's a strange way to see the world. So on one of these trips, we were in France. Okay. We went to it. They, we were at the palace of Versailles. Mm-hmm. Cool. Which is outside of Paris. Very, very big building. Did you know they have 1,400 rooms? That's amazing. But none of the other people on the tour did, because as soon as I learned that <laughs> nugget of information, I moved us on to the next site. You really love that power, don't you? I, I love knowing more than these old farts. So, <laughs> so uh, angry. 
we get to the courtyard and there's this woman, very pretty, and she's dressed in all these uh, old fashioned, you know, the 1700s clothing. Yeah. And she looks at us and she goes, let them eat cake. Brilliant. And so then this uh, executioner comes running out from one of the many, many doors this palace has to the uh-huh. courtyard and he's brandishing a sword. Mm-hmm. And then she does this, oh no, I'm going to be killed because there is a revolution in the, this place where we is. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so this, so this executioner guy uh, in this reenactment comes out to, and uh, to, to, to execute her. Yeah. It comes out to, to execute her. So I look and I look at the old people and I say, we need to help uh, Anne Boleyn because, uh-huh. you know, this crazy executioner is coming to chop her head off. And of course they're too slow. So I just bolted and I, I jumped the guy okay. and I put, took the sword out of his hands and it was, mm-hmm. it turned out to be foam, but whatever, it can still do damage. You never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I gave him a few punches and uh, he was out like a light that you turned off. <laughs> And I said, it's been an honor to save you. And, uh, mm-hmm. and she's like, you beat up my friend, Bruce. <laughs> and, you know, as I, I was like, but he was coming to kill you. She's like, this is reenactment. I don't understand why you do not understand this. Yeah. Poor Bruce. And so even, even with a plastic sword, you, you ended him. You turned off his light. I, I knocked him out. I mean, I didn't, you know, you, the adrenaline really gets to you. Sure. And I, uh, you know, I was just supercharged. You're not thinking, you know, you're an autopilot at that point. And all right. I knew was that I was not going to let this executioner uh, kill the woman I believed was Anne Boleyn, but who was <laughs> Marie Antoinette, but who was actually a Polish girl playing the role of Marie Antoinette, who is not Anne Boleyn. Right. All that makes sense. I totally get that. And, and so I said, listen, um, you know, wh- when do you get off? She says, uh, when I ride uh, maybe a banister or, you know, if my friend have vibrator. And I'm like, no, no, no. You, and she, you know, they're so literal. Poles are incredibly literal. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, I'm all right. God. And so I, I said, no, Merry no, I'm Christmas, in, everybody. I said, get off of work, like what you're doing. And she's right. like, I I is not working. I'm like, well, you t- but you're dressed in these clothings and stuff. She's like, I like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's really impressive. And I said, well, you know, do you want to get a bite to eat afterwards? And uh, and she said, no. And so, um, you know, I waited until, uh, you know, I, I saw her leaving for her car. Mm-hmm. And and then I, I approached her and I said, listen, uh, you know, maybe we didn't hit it off right the first time, but I'm dying. Oh and gosh. I, I pointed to a bus full of old people and I said, I'll be gone before they are. That's wow. a fact. Yeah. Cause this is like 30 year old, vibrant Brian Sack. Yeah. And she's like, I am so sorry for you. I don't understand why, why this is happening. And I'm like, I, you know, all I know is that I want to spend the remaining time I have with you. Oh my gosh. And she, you know, she, uh, I said, you, you know, you have uh, your eyes uh, tearing up and she's like, no, they're whole. <laughs> and I'm like, no, see, it's, everything's literal with these people. Yeah, I've, no, I've heard. And and so so we did go out to dinner. Okay. And we had a lovely dinner. Uh, but she kept you know, she kept very she was very apprehensive. Mm-hmm. She thought I was going to leave her and, and make her pay for it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> these four people. 
And then we're walking. We went for, I said, do you want to go for a stroll? Mm-hmm. And we're walking along the, the Seine River, right? You know, the river in France, right? Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful buildings everywhere. Of course. And then over in the distance, I see this guy and he looks like a Jacobin. Huh. And he, he's, he looks over and he goes, holy crap, Marie Antoinette's still alive. And then he <laughs> just comes bolting for us. Oh my God. And so she says, let's get out of here. She says, let's get out of here. And, um, and then I just grabbed her by the hand and we ran. Okay. She knows the area very well. So there's all these little side alleys and stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, I was like, let's, you know, do you want to go down this alley? And she's like, is this euphemism? And I'm like, no, no, we're trying to escape the crazy Jacobin mm-hmm. who wants you dead. Cause he thinks you're Marie Antoinette. Right. Or Marie Antoinette. Right. And so next thing we know, we're running through the sewers of Paris. <laughs> pursued uh, by, you know, the crazy Jacobin. Right. He's just ranting at us about the revolution. And um, ultimately, you know, she's, she's a mess. I said, you know, would, would you like to uh, come to my hotel room and clean up? Yep. And so we, we went back to the hotel room. Sure. And uh, one thing led to another. Okay. And she was pregnant. (laughs) With, with with a baby of yours? No, no, that wasn't mine. No. <laughs> and surprisingly, it looked like a Jacobin. <laughs> hey, Brian. Hey, Jack. You know, uh, this is <laughs> you're so odd. Uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year for so many reasons. Obviously, the holidays are great. Christmas time is great. One of my favorite things is about um, about the holidays is sitting down with my family, uh, you know, once or twice a week, actually, and watching a Christmas movie. Yeah, I love Christmas movies. I know that you have um, you've written a lot of Christmas movies, that you have a lot of um, uh, Christmas films that you um you know, are, are sort of on your, uh, at various stages of, 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 uh, writing and, and maybe even pre-production. I don't know. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us about some of your, your Christmas movies and, and what they're about. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share that. And who knows, Jack, uh, maybe there's a producer out there, uh, who's got the cash to make my dreams come true. Oh, oh that's right. Well, yeah, well, you better really sell your, your screenplay ideas. Sure. Here. All right. Okay, so the, the first movie that you wrote here, I, I've got a list of all of your um, all of your works. Is uh, is Miracle on Michigan Avenue? I guess that's sort of like a, a take on um, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, but set in Chicago. Yes. Tell us about that movie. Well, in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, uh, the protagonist is a young girl. Yep. And um, in Miracle on Michigan Avenue, the protagonist is male. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it's a gentleman named Toothless Joe. <laughs> Okay. Now, cool. Now, Toothless Joe is down on his luck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's also cold because it's Chicago in December. I mean, come on. It's a mess. Oh, yeah. And he goes, uh, he sees there's an apartment store there. But instead of Macy's, I changed the name. I, I was worried about copyright infringement, so I changed the name. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. Do you, do you remember what you changed the name to? TJ Maxx. <laughs> Okay, good. Macy's will not, they won't have a problem with that. Macy's cannot sue me now. No, they can't. And so Toothless Joe uh, staggers into the TJ Maxx. Mm -hmm. He sees that Santa's here. There's a big sign that says Santa's here. Yeah. 
And he's like, well, you know, I need a gift from Santa. Okay. And so he, he staggers over to the escalator, he pushes an older lady out of the way, and he gets onto the escalator. He's never been on an escalator before. Oh so it's kind of a comical scene. So he, he starts stepping on the escalator. He doesn't understand. And then finally, he just kind of stands there in a panic. Yeah. And he doesn't know what to do. And he's looking behind him and people are just looking at him like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, you've never been on an escalator before, but he hasn't. He's a heroin addict. He's always out in the streets, passed out. Uh huh. And so finally you see, he gets up to the top and as he's getting up to the top, he sees in the distance, Santa Claus sitting on a big chair, big throne. Yep. Cool. And he's standing, but he's, you know, he's just standing, standing there in the escalator. He gets to the top and he doesn't step off. Okay. Cause he doesn't know what to do. Well, you know, Toothless Joe doesn't have shoes. Yep. Okay. Oh no. Immediately the toes are caught into the escalator and he lets out a scream like you can't believe. All these kids in line waiting for Santa. They turn. You okay. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm worried for Joe. I've, I've, that's how hooked. I, this is what good writing does. I'm yeah. hooked. I'm very worried about what's going to happen. Well, all the kids and moms look over at this screaming man, screaming bloody murder. Who's his toes are stuck in the, in the top of the escalator. Blood is spraying everywhere. He's mangled. He falls on his floor and he's, he's screaming. He's crawling. He's trying to crawl away from this machine, which is slowly devouring him. Uh, so he's screaming bloody murder. All okay. the kids, even Santa Claus is, is left speechless. And it's the real Santa Claus. Oh my God. Yeah. That's the, let you find out later in the film, but they're all okay. just sitting there staring at this guy screaming. Finally, somebody gets their act together and hits the emergency stop button. By this time, he's got no feet. <laughs> There's blood everywhere. The children are traumatized. They're just screaming and crying and running. And the mothers are freaking out, trying to shield their children. Uh, but I mean, the movie ends with a $36 million settlement. <laughs> TJ Maxx has $36 million. If they sell everything they have. <laughs> yeah, then they'd be $35 million short. And that's, that is Miracle on Michigan Avenue. Oh my gosh. That's, that's very, so it's, it's sort of this whimsical fantasy that becomes like a, a courtroom drama. Yeah. Slash horror movie. It starts whimsical. It's kind of horror-y in the middle there. Mm -hmm. and, and then courtroom drama and then just drama. Cause you know, what does a homeless heroin addict do with $36 million? Again, that's an interesting question. And, and what's the answer to that? He had 14 U-Haul trucks filled with fentanyl delivered <laughs> to his new house. He was dead in three minutes. <laughs> and this is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Because then the money he has no ears, no estate or anything. The money goes to the, actually winds up going to Santa Claus. I was wondering how the real Santa Claus plays into this. Cause yeah, you said so he comes I'm, back later. Well, he's got $2 million cause 34 million was spent on fentanyl. <laughs> so basically that $2 million that he got that was left over, uh, he was able to distribute to all the little kids who were there to see him that day, who right. will be in therapy for 30 to 40 years. <laughs> And he, he left them gift cards in their stockings saying, this is for therapy. It's on me. <laughs> and then everybody gets... lived ha happily ever after. Uh, would you say that everyone lived happily ever after? Well, of course not Toothless Joe. 
and a lot of the kids were messed up. But that's for the sequel. Yeah, what's the what's the sequel called? No Christmas in this house. Uh, I, I imagine there's a warning label about um, about the amount of suicide in that movie. Yeah, it's it's not a, it's not what you call a happy Christmas movie. It's not. It doesn't have that same kind of fun spirit that a Christmas story has. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Well, um, gosh, uh, you know, good good luck getting that produced. I mean, there's a, a gritty realism, I suppose, like it's a taxi driver type of feel, maybe. Yeah, I fi- whatever they, they want to do. I mean, fingers crossed, just buy the script, make the movie. I'm happy with whatever decisions you make artistically. Okay, teach the controversy. I don't care anymore. As soon as that check come, clears, <laughs> you do what you want. Right. You're not exactly what we would call an artist. No, I'm like a, a creationist, but for <laughs> screenplays. Okay. Um, okay, fair enough. Um well, you know, again, good luck with that one, I, I guess. Um, uh, let's check out the next one. Oh, uh, I, I, you know, I remember you telling me that you were writing this back when we worked together um, at the BS of A. Uh, a, a show, uh, a movie called Blinky the Special Elf? Blinky the Special Elf, yeah. yeah what, what, what the heck is that about? Uh, well, you know, Rudolph was kind of like a special reindeer. Yeah. And Blinky was a special elf. Okay. What made Blinky so special? He had a hard fall when he was a child. <laughs> okay. So, so tell, tell us about the story of this elf. So, you know, Blinky was different than the other kids. Uh, the other <laughs> kids treated him with compassion and, and they were nice to him. Okay. But they knew that he had suffered uh, severe injuries when <laughs> he had his hard fall. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they had to hold Blinky to different standards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Blinky would do things that would make the other elves, you know, raise an eyebrow here and there. They gave mm-hmm. him multiple jobs in the elf factory to see if he could do anything. Sure. Unable to to use a hammer. <laughs> uh, incapable of, of wielding a glue gun. Mm-hmm. Assembling parts, not good. Putting stuff in bags, not good. Wrapping, not good. Ribbons, not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, he they went through job and job, you know, after job with him, they just really wanted him to do something. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were at their wits end. Sure. So they had a plan. Okay. And so what they did is they stopped feeding the reindeer for several okay. days. Okay. Kind of. Interesting. And then they they said, Blinky, uh, can you go feed the reindeer? Mm-hmm. And they handed him a bag, but the bag was empty. Blinky walked over to the reindeer pen, walked in with his bag and said, food time. And then he turned over the bag and dumped it. And of course, nothing came out. Uh-huh. Well, you can imagine those reindeer were absolutely furious. Not to mention starving. <laughs> right, right. And if you've ever seen a deer eat a squirrel, you'll know that, you know, if, if they're pushed, they will act. Mm -hmm. They'll be omnivores if they have to. Right. The upside is Blinky didn't realize he was being consumed. He thought they were tickling him. So the movie ends with him laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Just, 
just he, he laughing as he gets eaten by yeah. Santa's reindeer? Because he didn't, you know, he didn't know what was going on. He was special. And in, at that moment, he thought the reindeer were playing and tickling with him right. uh, in, until Donder severed his carotid artery. And then it was all over in a matter of seconds. So the elves, <laughs> because he he can't do a, a simple toy building instead of just letting him, you know, um, you know, right around Santa's village on a bicycle smiling at people. <laughs> they set him off and basically set him up and get to murder him. They murder him. Death by reindeer. It was, yeah. And it was, it was something that Mrs. Claus had a hard time with. Yeah. That's when the drinking started. <laughs> Good God. It's a lot to process. The, all of this is a lot to process. What, what, here, here's my question. And then we're going to move on to the next film. Yep. Why, why this story? Why this movie? Because we never really examined the, the life of elves. Uh-huh. But especially elves whose brains were, were scrambled <laughs> as a child. Because mm-hmm. I can't name one Christmas special featuring an elf who, who literally doesn't know how to, to, you know, brush his teeth. Right. <laughs> who walks into walls. And so I wanted to, to get that message out there that, you know, <laughs> the, the message of Christmas. Of what? compassion uh-huh. <laughs> elves. I wanted them to see, you know, that he served a purpose at the end, you know, mm-hmm. he brought joy to those reindeer, mm-hmm. the reindeer <laughs> bring joy to children around the world. Yep. So in the end, this special elf uh, whose brain was uh, remarkably uh, damaged uh, when he, with his hard fall, this, this elf, you know, ha- has a hand in, in, in creating happiness around the world. Okay. This, this movie's going to get protested, just so you know. Just prepare yourself. And in a sense, he's preserved forever. Mm-hmm. Because when the reindeers do their business, yeah. that stuff freezes up. It doesn't go away. It's, it doesn't even get past the permafrost. So it's there forever. So he's still there. You know what? It's a really beautiful way to sort of end. The, so is that like the post the post-credit sequence? <laughs> yeah. Because you just, you know, you'll see the reindeer walking and doing the reindeer droppings and the camera kind of moves in <laughs> and you hear, you know, echoes of the, of him laughing as he's being. Right. His, his tickle death laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, it's so Christmassy. <laughs> who, Thank who, you. who do you have in mind to play Blinky? John Hamm. Okay, makes sense. Um, the next movie I wanted to talk to you about um, is, oh, this is very topical. I, I don't even know when you wrote this. Um, it's called uh, Jesse Smollett Saves Christmas. Yes. Wow, yeah. that sounds really fun. Yeah. He's one of my favorite actors. Uh, working to, Well, not working today. Is that why you, is that why you wrote it? Because you, you figured you could get him? Part of the trick of, of writing a movie is you really you got to think about who's going to be in the movie. Yeah. And, and if they, you know, I, I'm not going to write a Tom Cruise film if I don't think I can get Tom Cruise for it. Sure. So uh, I needed an actor who I knew would be available. Right. Uh, who did not have any commitments. Yep. <laughs> and, and who was, you know, champing at the bit to, to perform again. Yeah. And so I, I wrote this film. Okay. That makes sense. By the way, Tom Cruise, a perfect blinky, like the wardrobe would fit perfectly. Oh, you're right. Thank you. 
So, uh, so tell us about uh, Jesse Smollett Saves Christmas. Tell us the story of this, uh, this wonderful um, soon to be holiday classic. So basically it turns out mm-hmm. that elves have very uh, compromised immune systems. <laughs> okay. And that is why that's the reason they're up in the North pole because the cold kills a lot of pathogens that oh. would otherwise do these poor little guys in. Oh, okay. Uh, so the movie starts with a visit uh, to the factory by mean Mr. Whiteman and uh <laughs> Mean Mr. Whiteman is a, he's a billionaire uh, from New York, runs mm-hmm. a business. Mm-hmm. He's a real ruthless guy. He doesn't, doesn't pay his employees a living wage. Right. So Santa, as wise as he is. Okay. Uh, knew that Mr. Whiteman, evil Mr. Whiteman was really good at, at, you know, management, factory management and, and logistics and all this stuff. How this guy, that's how this guy built his huge enterprise. And sure. Santa wanna, wants to modernize. Okay. So he invites uh, Mr. Whiteman uh, to the North Pole and gives him this tour of the factory. And he's walking around the factory and, and they're showing him, he's meeting every single elf. Mm-hmm. And he's shaking their hands and giving them a, you know, a high five. And unbeknownst to him, uh, he was an asymptomatic carrier of the most recent variant of COVID-19. Oh gosh. Yeah. So 12 days later, <laughs> Santa Claus is just presiding over an empty factory. <laughs> okay. And because the white men ruined Christmas, the white men ruined Christmas. He, all the elves were gone. They were all yeah. deceased. They had right. all compromised immune systems. And so Santa's just standing there and he's saying, I'm ruined. Mm-hmm. I'm ruined. But then a uh, Jesse Smollett <laughs> arrives. <laughs> Strange. Right there. He says, I can help you. I can fix Christmas. Oh, cool. And Santa says, how can you fix Christmas? I can't, I can't make toys. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do? And Jess, Jesse says, I was make $125,000 an episode. Mm-hmm. So I got some scratch. Yeah. And I'm going to help you out. Cool. So uh, Santa's like, you, still, even with a bunch of money, you're going to need a lot more money than that. And I'll, you know, he's like, I'm going to make you a modern day factory. And how I'm going to do it is I'm, I'm so confident that I'm going to go to Las Vegas. I'm going to take all my money. I'm going to put it on red at the roulette table and I'm going to double it. And I'm going to double it again. And I'm going to double it again. And Santa's like, that's crazy odds. You'll never do it. He's like, he's like, Santa, I'm feeling lucky. And I'm feeling like this is my Christmas gift to you. Wow. So he flies to Vegas and he has the money and he shows up at the roulette table and he puts it on the red and they're like, hey, really? That's a lot of money. And he just looks at him and he says, roll that ball. Yeah. And so they roll and bink red and like a whole, everybody Ooh. explodes with, with, you know, they're like, Oh my God, they're all cheering. And they, they give him the money and everybody's like, surely he's going to cash out now. And he just looks at them. He's like, no, I'm going to make Santa the factory of his dreams. And so uh, he just puts the money back on, says red again. They're like, what dude, those odds are crazy. Oh, you you sure God. you want to do this? And he looked right at the security cameras. It's a great <laughs> shot in the film. And he just says, yes, I want to do this. Uh-huh. And they roll it and boom, red. And people are like, no. oh my God. And he's like, I told you, I've got the mag- magic of claws. I've got the yeah. magic of claws. And so now they're thinking, okay, there's no possible way he's going to try this again. And he just puts all the money back on red. And he says, roll it. And he rolls it. And he's like, and this is the last time after this, I leave. Oh, oh my God. 
and rolls it and it's like and you see the marble like bouncing between black and red and all the number black and red black and and then it goes up in the air and you see everybody's eyes looking at it and then it comes back down bounce 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 and red oh so he everybody freaks out he now he's got millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars he just he he go he cashes out and he exits the casino and a white guy comes up and steals the chip from him. <laughs> okay. okay. And, and the, no, now he's devastated. Right. He goes back to Santa and he said, uh, Santa Claus, I, uh, listen, I, I had all the money. I had everything you needed. Yeah. And then some dude jumped me and, and took, took it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not falling for that again. Oh my God. So he's like, Santa, I can make it up to you. He's like, how are you going to make it up to me? I don't have the factory I need. I don't have the L's I need. I have no modernization. This is, you've ruined, you've ruined everything. And you're a liar. Yeah. Uh, Two time liar. He's like, Santa, no, I'm not lying. They, Santa, they, they really did this time steal my money. And uh, he's like, whatever. I don't believe you. You've got a reputation now. You're on the naughty list. Cole for you. And he's like, no, Santa, yeah. please don't do that. And ultimately he agrees uh, to work for Santa and to make okay. toys for every little good boy and girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem is it took 36 years. So a lot of the kids were grown ups by the time they got their terribly uh-huh. constructed uh, car. <laughs> it's just a dipshit actor. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't the best idea for Santa. Although he did have a long stretch where he didn't have to do anything. <laughs> As, as if he ever did. And, and, and this somehow is Jesse Smollett saves Christmas. Yes. <laughs> and it's really a fable about uh, being honest and about how, if, if you lie once people won't believe you again. No, I hadn't even thought of that, but you're right. That's a good thing. That's something that you should think about. <sighs> Boy, I want my film to have layers like an onion. Well, they, they, they really do. They really do. And they will, and that story will bring people to tears. It's really beautiful. Um, Thank you. okay. Well, it's, it's really great. Uh, you know, last one. Um, I wanted to ask you about this, uh, your most recent Muppet movie. I don't know why you keep doing this called uh, uh, Muppets. It's a wonderful life. Yes. Okay. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if you could get the rights. Is that a remake? Is it, uh, is it a, a spoof? Like what, what, what is this, what is this Muppet movie about? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's about being a Muppet. Oh, okay. And so, you know, hmm. basically the Muppets become aware that they have human <laughs> hands up them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh. This is fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, they, they get together and, and they're like, you know, do you, anybody else realize we have human hands uh, in our bodies? <laughs> <laughs> and manipulating us. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah. you know, we need, you know, um, we need to do something. So they go to the North pole. Okay. And, and they talk to Santa and they're like, Santa, you know, we, we need your help. You're the great gift giver. Yeah. And, and Santa's like, yeah. So they all say, Santa, listen, for the rest of our lives, you don't need to give us presents. If you can give us the one greatest gift of all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he's like, what's that? And they're like, the gift of, of life. <laughs> yeah. To make them flesh and blood. Sure. And, and not felt uh, with a human hand up them. Right. Which a lot of them found very offensive when they thought about it. 
Yeah. And so Santa Claus said, you know what? Every so often I like to do a miracle. And I guess tonight's oh. the night I do a miracle. Oh. So he goes to his Santa safe, which is <laughs> hidden behind a tree. Okay. And he enters in the code, mm-hmm. which of course is his birthday. And he opens up the safe and he takes out a box. And inside the box, he there are two snaps on either side of the box. Okay. And he opens one snap, opens the other snap, opens up the box. And inside that box is a large gold wand. Yeah. And it just, it glows. Wow. And then he, he takes that out and he shows them. He hands, he has, he said, this is a magic wand. Yep. And they're all like, yeah, Santa. Yeah, la, la, la. And then he goes, um, super expensive. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And, and he goes, I just wanted to show you that. So he puts it back and then closes it. <laughs> And then he closes the class, puts it back in the Santa safe. And in his top right drawer, uh, he has a key card. That was just a brag? Yeah. Santa's like that. Okay. He's a bragger. Okay. And uh, so Santa, so he takes his key card and he, he, it's a magical key card. Yep. And he waves it over the Muppets and there's this big flash. And now like they're all, they're looking at each other and they're all uh, flesh and blood. Yeah. And, and they're, they're like, oh my God, I'm real. I'm real. Kermit, Piggy, Gonzo, Fozzie, the whole gang. Yeah. Is all there. They're, they're like, we're real. We're real. We're real. And, um, you know, and they're, they're just like hugging one another. And it's like this big joyful thing. And you see Santa just going, ho, 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 ho. Oh. And then they all uh, walk off into the distance. I mean, it's harder to walk because they still have the hands up them. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like a happy, happy ending. So, so they still have, well, I guess severed human hands still lodged with inside them. Yep. Good Lord. Yeah. It looks weird. (laughs) Hey, Brian. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. That was very measured and professional. Um, You're welcome. So, you know, I, I know, you know, 2021 is, as, as I think back, you know, one of the, the cool things I think we've done on this podcast is, is sort of shared your knowledge, um, your incredible encyclopedic knowledge of, of music. You know, we, yeah. we've talked about so many different artists and, and their, you know, the meanings of their songs. That's something we've yep. really sort of explored this year, um, you know, from Bruce Springsteen to Madonna, Prince, uh, the Beatles. It, it's really been fun to, to learn about that. And I, I was thinking to myself, I, I listen to so many Christmas songs on the radio. I, I, I keep my radio on the, on the New York Christmas station. And, yeah. I, and I wonder where so many of these songs came from. And, and I realized like, oh my gosh, I work with, I do a podcast with uh, the, the guy who's going to know the, the backstory of all of these uh, uh, classic Christmas songs. Yep, sure. Would you mind sharing? I, I imagine. No, this is, it's Christmas is my gift to you. You know, it Aww. spares me from buying something. Uh, I mean, you could, I mean, you could do both. That's right. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we should just skip the bit. Cause I, no, I'd let's love do it. Mm. My gift to you, a little stocking stuffer. <sighs> okay. And gift um, under the tree too. It's like a double gift. Okay. Uh, for two years, two Christmases. <laughs> this, this is not two Christmases worth. This is just going to be like a, a 10 minute podcast bit. It's not really, please. I'll, I'll be the judge of that. Okay. Um, so I'd love to know, um, uh, silent night, obviously that's one of the all time 
great yeah. uh, Christmas songs. Um, wh- what's the story behind that? What What was the inspiration um, to write Silent Night? Well, um, you know, a lot of people think that it was based on, you know, the the whole manger and the you know this quiet night where the baby is being born, and yeah, uh, and that's not the case at all. What I thought it was, yeah, a, a sweet and beautiful religious song. Well, it, you know, it's been kind of turned into that. Okay. But originally it was about a serial killer named Gary Munford. And Gary was, he was a genius mathematician. You all right? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, when you find out your favorite Christmas song maybe isn't what it was, it takes a minute to process. Just please just f- continue on the story. About Gary, Gary Mumford. Gary Mumford, the twisted uh, mathematician mm-hmm. uh, and, ju- you know, all around, uh, you know, clever, a very smart individual, but just absolutely uh, twisted and, and, and sinister. Mm-hmm. And, and Gary was like, he was the inspiration for Saw. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So he would uh, create these little crazy uh, traps with his knowledge and uh, skills and, and, you know, inevitably these people would wind up getting, uh, you know, dying, which is super sad. Yeah. Uh, but this one case, he, he kidnaps this uh, woman, Rebecca Steele. <laughs> and I gave her the name Steele because it makes her sound rugged. Yeah. And he kidnaps her and he creates a trap for her. Uh, and she fails and she dies. <laughs> so then he kidnaps Benny Limp. And that's why, you know, I did this twist thing. Okay. You think Rebecca Steele, he's like, okay, well, the name like that, she's going to pull through. Yeah. Right. But Benny Limp, you're like, there's no way. It just sounds, just sounds like a milk toast. Of course. But he kidnaps Benny Limp and he <laughs> locks him in this room. And he basically says, if you make any sounds for the next 10 hours, uh, you die. The room, the walls close in and you get crushed. Oh my gosh. There's sensors everywhere listening. Uh, but there is crinkle paper and all sorts of stuff all over the floor. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he has to be incredibly careful. There's like, there's like aluminum foil and, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, crinkly paper and, and all sorts of stuff on the floor. So if you the wrong step and he's going to make a noise and the walls are going to close in and crush him. And that was the inspiration. So he, he basically, uh, Benny Limp, uh, you know, <laughs> manages to get through the night. There's a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. There's one point where he's about to sneeze. He's like, and you can just see the fear in his eyes, but then he doesn't sneeze because he thinks of the Pope. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, he sees the sunrise. And then Gary Mumford comes in and says, congratulations, you win this one. And he lets him out. And then Gary Mumford, uh, true to his beliefs, uh, leapt off a bridge <laughs> a few hours later. Silent night. Silent night. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, um, uh, not what I was hoping it would be, but, um, uh, but thank you for sharing uh, the true story behind it. There you go. 
Okay, so the next song, Brian, I, I'd love for you, for you to sort of like explain where it came from. And, and, and mm. this one I can see, mm-hmm. you know, I, I imagine a lot of people feel the same way, is um, the one from the Jackson 5 called I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's sort of, it's, you know, funny and cute. You know, it's, it's sung by the Jackson 5, who of course were kids. So there's like right. an innocence to it. They don't quite, you know, they don't quite, you know, put two and two together. But I, so I'd sort of love to know where that song came from. I'd love to know its origins. Yeah, it's about a little boy. Okay. And he's he's looking for his mom. And mm-hmm. then he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's super eager about Christmas. Yeah. And he, he goes downstairs and he sees a bag, sack. Yeah. Of toys and stuff in a, in a, just sitting near the chimney, resting against the fireplace. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, where's, you know, shouldn't Santa be here? Yeah. So he goes wandering around the house. And, you know, he, he assumes, you know, Santa must have been coming, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, he goes outside. He's looking all around. It's freezing. It's snowy outside. And then he sees a foot sticking out of a snowbank. <laughs> okay. He, uh, he brushes away the, the snow and he sees that, you know, it's, it looks from the familiar sight of his mother. Okay. And she's frozen solid. <laughs> God. And... And she is uh, actually underneath Santa Claus, who, from looking up, clearly had slid off of the roof uh-huh. and landed upon her. Oh, no. And, of course, he's a heavy man. <laughs> so, you know, so the boy's standing there and he just sees this frozen, these two frozen bodies atop one another. Right. And, you know, he, he runs back into his house. And wakes up his father. He says, mommy, you know, mommy, you know, something happened. Something happened. Come with me. Come with me. And so the dad runs outside and see, you know, he bursts into tears and he does everything he can uh, to resuscitate her and, and fails and the police come. Uh, and then he's trying to talk to his son later that night on a, the saddest night of their lives. Right. And, and he said, you know, what, what happened? And is she okay? Is he, and he said, well, she's kissing Santa Claus. And it became a euphemism. Oh, for for being frozen to death uh, <laughs> while pinned underneath the, an obese man who had broken his neck falling off a roof. Whew, that's uh, yeah, it's not as cute as a as as one would first think. No, but it's better when you get a young kid to sing it. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, well, fair enough. Um, so sad. Um, uh. Uh, here's here's a song that you know is uh, always fun to sing along to if you can remember all the all 12 uh 12 items the 12 days of christmas yes perry como uh you know uh sang that and always always a classic uh so fun to listen to it's it's a strange one it's all these random items you know what's the what's the backstory behind that song back in the victorian era Mm -hmm. in the victorian era people were very prudish okay and everything, you know, was a euphemism. Uh-huh. You know, nobody wanted to come out and say things. They would beat around the bush. They used these euphemisms. Okay. So this song is basically about uh, a gentleman receiving sexual favors uh, from his his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a partridge in a pear tree, uh, you know, being the ultimate uh, prize. Her, her maidenhead. <laughs> okay. Her virginity. Right. Got it. Um, 
Jim, a pear tree. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't even get me started with maids and milking. <laughs> okay. I, I guess so. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't want to. Uh, two turtle doves? Yeah, two turtle doves means uh, two members of the uh, opposite sex. So it basically refers to a, a menage a trois. Okay. <laughs> um, what about the, the Lord's a leaping? Uh, that's a position. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, sounds like it could be, potentially be fun. Uh, uh, five gold rings? Yeah. They help maintain an erection. <laughs> That's pretty advanced for Perry Como. That's <laughs> what was Perry Como's. Um, was he a known pervert? No, he just really dug, he dug the Victorian era. He was a huge fan. And, uh, you know, this was his way of, of kind of being sexy, but at the same time, just speaking in euphemism. Right. Of course. Yeah. You can listen with the kids and, and yeah. Yeah, I, I get 11 pipers piping. Yeah, that's a euphemism for water sports. <laughs> Six geese a laying? That's actually the most literal one. That is you you literally bring a, a goose into the bedroom. <laughs> for for purposes of mutual pleasure? Yeah. I mean, we don't really know what the geese is saying, but, you know, we... <laughs> Yeah, if you can't, geese are, can be very grumpy. They can. They can be very aggressive. They can be also passionate, tender lovers. <laughs> well, Brian, uh, this this brings to a close our, our Christmas episode uh, of Questionable Material. It sure was a lot of fun, and I, I hope you have a wonderful uh, anniversary, and I hope yes. you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Thank you. Um, yeah, me too. I hope uh, the COVID test comes back negative so that I can travel. Yes. To Christmas. You're, and you're going to Canada. I'm going to go skiing in Canada. Yeah. Time to blow out your leg again. That was Questionable Material with Jack and Brian. Subscribe on any podcast platform. Watch our clips on YouTube. Visit us at qmpodcast.com. 